<laughs> All right, it's good to see everybody this morning. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin Renault. I'm one of the pastors here today. And it is very exciting to be delivering God's Word to you this morning. I was speaking to Weston earlier and just talking about this passage and just the joy that it was to kind of go through it. Many of you have heard my testimony, and, and in my testimony, one of the things I talk about is it was in college when I began to read Scripture for myself and to really see what was in there, and God revealed Himself to me in such a way that, like, the stories would literally dance on the pages, and it was so beautiful and so wonderful to walk through the Scriptures, to, to just see Christ in action, to see God's plan unfold. And, and that this story today is one of those where, as I studied throughout the week and, and went through the Scriptures, it was so much fun. It was so good to see God alive and at work uh, in our text today. So I hope that you see that echo through what we talk about. So to begin, let's read our text. We're in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before we begin, I, I want to just kind of state the main theme. And, and if you remember nothing else from today, like hang on to this, 
to this idea. And it is that true salvation, true salvation, true heart change is God's work. It's not my work. It's not man's work. True salvation is God's work, something he does, at which point you are born again. That is, you are made new. You are a new creation. So we're continuing our study in John this morning. And just kind of as a reminder, the chief theme in John's gospel is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That is, he is the Son of God. And believing in Jesus, people can have eternal life. So all throughout John's gospel, as we continue walking through it, this is going to be the main point that we continue to come back to. So to recap previous weeks, at the very beginning of John, we talked about uh, Jesus was the Word, and the Word became flesh. So he came and he lived an incarnate life. That means he came and was among us. He was God in the flesh. We see that Jesus was baptized and the Spirit descended on him, but not just descended on him, but remained on him. It stayed with him. We also see that Jesus calls his first disciples, and then we walk through Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. And then we see, I believe it was two weeks ago, um, where Jesus enters the temple and he drives out those selling various animals and the money changers. From the temple stating, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. As we wrapped up chapter 2 and we're entering into chapter 3 today, what we're left with in chapter 2 is we see Jesus not entrusting himself to people because he knew all people. He knows what's in the heart of man. The last three verses of chapter 2, 23, 24, and 25 say this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So observing these verses from the end of chapter 2, it helps us set the stage for moving into chapter 3. You know, when John wrote this book, like, we didn't have chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 3. Like, there's actually this really nice transition that flows through the chapters if we can kind of take those numbers out and read it for what the text truly is saying. There's some really beautiful context between the two. So um, we see that people believed because of the signs. People believe, and this doesn't necessarily mean a, a salvific belief. We can still believe in Jesus but not truly be saved. We see that all throughout Scripture. We see this with the parable of the sower, the good soil, the soil among thorns, the soil, the, the path. So it doesn't mean a salvific belief. And Jesus, he, he knows that because he knows the heart of men. Therefore, he did not entrust himself to them. So in this, we see the omniscience of Jesus. That is his all-knowing power. But we also see a kind of belief that doesn't necessarily mean salvation. So as we move into chapter 3, Jesus shows us a type of belief that actually does produce salvation. So John 
ends chapter 2 with the phrase, he himself knew what was in man, then begins the next with, now there was a man. So so catch up on that. That's why it's important for us to say, hey, let's just throw out the number chapter 3, because there's a really nice, smooth transition here. God knows what is in the heart of man, and now there was a man named Nicodemus. So he's beginning to explain some of that. So he's addressing the heart of man. Notice how Nicodemus believed because of the signs as well that were performed just like the people in verses 23. So now let's just kind of look at the story from a a high-level view to gain some context. So uh, Nicodemus first, he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee ruler who believed Jesus was from God. We get this from the context because of the signs he performed. But we need to understand that Nicodemus was very well versed in the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament scriptures. Knowing this helps us better understand why Jesus says some of the things that he does in this interaction with Nicodemus. So as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would know exactly what works, what things he would need to do in order to obtain salvation. You know, quote unquote, we know we can't earn our salvation. In this context, perhaps Nicodemus was looking to further, what can I do to obtain salvation? We knew, he knew the law, but as we will see, he did not fully understand it. So this interaction should prompt us to read and know and understand the Old Testament scriptures as well, not just spending all of our time in the New Testament. So it helps us understand many of the stories that we see in the New Testament. And then in the context of being born again, I love how Jesus and scriptures use physical elements that we can relate to in order to understand the spiritual world. And for me personally, I think this is why I, if you hang out with me long enough and you listen to me enough up here, you'll realize I love being outside in wilderness Not just outside, but outside in remote wilderness settings. It's so much fun to go and get lost in the backcountry. You agree? (laughs) Come with me then if you don't want to be lost. That's God's creation, and so it's, it's in these physical spaces that I personally feel connected to Christ, to God, to the spiritual nature of God. And so this analogy of being born again is one of those instances. You see, we live in a physical world where our senses are in full use. We can feel, we can touch, we can smell, we can hear. So we're we're able to really relate to the world around us. But we also live in a spiritual world where we need to develop and be in touch with our, our spiritual senses as well in order to relate to the spiritual world and to know the spiritual world. So Scripture uses these physical analogies to help us see spiritual realities. So again, Scripture uses these physical analogies to help us see spiritual realities. And the next, or the last, the third thing here is the how and why. We see in this passage how God brings us into salvation, and we see why. So again, true salvation is God's work, at which point you are born again, that is, you are made new. You are a new creation. This is God doing the work. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation, to earn God's favor. Like, it has to be something that God does, that He orchestrates. 
So now what I always like to do is I like to read through the scriptures and we'll just talk about each set kind of as we go forward. So starting with verse 1 and 2, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here we see Nicodemus, a man who believed Jesus was sent by God because he saw these signs that were performed. There was an action he saw and he believed. So this is a man that Jesus knew the heart of. And as I mentioned earlier, someone who was very well versed in the law. He possibly was here to learn about what he could do to enter the kingdom of God, as we're going to see in a response from Jesus. So listen to what Jesus says in verses 3 through 6. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus is using this, ex this, this example, this physical example of birth to reveal a spiritual reality. So let's examine this idea of being born again more closely as it relates to, to physical birth. Well, first and foremost, do we have any control over our physical birth? Absolutely not. There's no other dimension where we as humans exist, where we're sitting, waiting, and thinking, you know what, I think I'm going to go to earth today. I think I'm going to be born to this family. No, it's an act of God. Like, he is the one that forms us. He is the one that creates us. Physical birth is God's work. So it is with spiritual birth. This is fully and wholly God's work. God must intervene in order to spiritually birth us just as it is with the physical. All through Scripture, we see this, and a comparative to this is being dead. That is, we're not alive. We need to be born. Therefore, you must be born again. So we are dead. Scripture teaches this. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walk. And then in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So we are spiritually born in this case by God's grace. We are brought to life. By his intervention, not our own. It's not something that we can do. A good example of this um, is the story of Lazarus. Many of you know the story and how Jesus had to intervene in order for him to be made alive. If you're familiar with this story and you look at the context of that story, you'll see that actually this, his death, Lazarus' death, was, was something that, that Jesus had set aside so that he would be made known. Let's read John eleven thirty eight through 44, that kind of gives us the end, end of this, this story. It says, 
Then Jesus deeply moved again. So prior to this, he was moved by the people because John was dead. Everyone was weeping. He was indignant, actually, in this. Indignant meaning um, he was angry because people didn't, didn't fully understand that he could raise Lazarus from the, from the dead. So deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. So, so even Martha in this instance is like, he's dead. Like, you can't move the stone. It's going to smell really bad. So she still doesn't get it. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So in, in this text, we see here clearly a physical example that reveals a spiritual reality. Jesus had to do something. Jesus had to be the one to intervene. And so it is with us being born again. This is God's work, and he must first birth within us a spiritual awakening. But how does God do this? Nicodemus asked, how can a man be born again? How can he enter his mother's womb a second time? Jesus' response to this is essentially, no, he, he can't enter his mother's womb a second time. What, what does he say? He says he must be born of water and of spirit. So this idea of water and spirit, it's an Old Testament teaching. If you look throughout scriptures, there are instances where water and spirit is referenced. And so it's an Old Testament teaching, and Nicodemus doesn't even realize this. But he's a man that should have known these things, as he was a teacher of Israel. So the best Old Testament scripture we have to explain water and spirit is actually one of my favorites. It's Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. So water, in this context that we have here in John, it does not mean baptism. There's nothing in the context of our story that makes us believe that Jesus is talking about baptism. There's actually many denominations that look to this verse and say, no, 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 it, it is. Baptism is required for salvation. But if you look all around this story, there's nothing in here that's telling us that this is about baptism. And it's not required for salvation. So that's not what we're saying. So let's look at Ezekiel 36. I want to, I'm going to read just the end part of that. If you ever get a chance, jot, jot Ezekiel 36 down. Like, go read Ezekiel 36. It is a beautiful passage. It's a wonderful, wonderful text. Starting in verse 25, this is God speaking I will sprinkle clean water on you. So there's the water. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, 
and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So in this story, we see God is the one that will sprinkle clean water on you. And look at what the next verse says. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and I will remove your idols. I will cleanse you. So this is a spiritual water that is used for purification. This is something that God is doing. This is a work that God is doing within you, within our heart, within our being. He is purifying our hearts. And then he goes on to say that, that he will give us a new heart and a new spirit. So we see here water and spirit in action. So God is the one at work. He removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. A stone, if you think about it, that, a stone is it's cold, it's hard, it, it's not malleable. You can't do anything with it. It can't be conformed into the image of his son. But then he replaces it with a heart that is warm, a heart that is beating, one that can be conformed, one that can be molded into the image of his son. And that causes us to walk in his ways and to obey his commands, as the scripture in Ezekiel says. And so we exercise our faith and spiritual disciplines with God conforming our hearts to the image of his son. God does this work. And as we grow, we grow in the fruits of the Spirit. That is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To be born again is to be spiritually birthed through the work of the Spirit by the grace of God in which we are granted faith and now able to grow into Christ's likeness. So think of like clay. You can take clay and you can mold it. This is what God is doing when he removes from us that heart of stone and gives us that heart of flesh. He molds it into the image of Christ as we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So moving into verse 7 and verse 8 of our text this morning, it says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So th this idea, it reinforces really the sovereignty of God um, in, in, in that it is His work. This is something that He is doing. We can't see it, but we know that it's at work. We can see the effects. This is something that I often talk to our kids about. You can't see God, but we can see the effects of God. So salvation, or being born of water and spirit, it is a work of God. So moving through our scripture today, verses 9 through 15, it says, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? 
Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Nicodemus, he, he still doesn't understand. He is a teacher of the law, but yet he doesn't understand. You think maybe our religion sometimes gets in the way and we don't understand? I think that's a good lesson in this too, is that we see someone who is very religious, but yet he doesn't get it. I never want to find myself in that position. So this is showing us that knowing and understanding are different things. Could it be that, that we come to church every Sunday and, and we know God, but, but we don't truly understand him and know him? We should ask the question, am, am I born again? Am I truly born again? How do I know that I'm born again? And this is, this is a delicate subject and one that we're really not going to spend a whole lot of time on. But there are many attending, <clears throat> attending churches all across the world today that are not truly born again. Many who are not in church as we know, that are not born again. One who is born again is one whose life has been transformed by the renewal of your mind. You have been a new creation. So what does that mean? That means that your desires, your motives, they begin to conform to that of God's. We begin to change. That doesn't mean that our sinful nature is gone. Like, we still wrestle with our sinful nature. We, we will continue to wrestle with our sinful nature until we leave this earth. And we are not sinless. And that doesn't mean that you won't have doubt about your beliefs or even about your salvation. I think that that thought does creep into all of our minds at some point. That is part of being human and living in this body. And, and the enemy attacking us, attacking our beliefs to distract us, to pull us from the great work that God has set us, set us out on. But first and foremost, in thinking about, am I born again? Is my salvation really a true belief? For me, I, I always go back to the Scripture. I always go back in the confidence that I have in Scripture, God's Word says right here, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let's start there. If you ever find yourself at this crossroads or you're doubting or you're wondering, am I born again? Rest in knowing that God's Scripture is true. Then we must examine our life and see if evidence of Christ in me exists. So ask yourself things like, are the fruits of the Spirit, are they there? Look at things like, where do I spend my money? Where do I spend my time? 
What captivates my heart? What pulls on my heartstrings? What are your deepest longings? What do you aspire to? Like, do you like the idea of conforming to Christ? That's a good start. <laughs> I, love, I love the fruits of the Spirit and just going back and, and looking at those. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can you look into your life and see these? Can other people look into your life and see those fruits? How, how do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? What do you see on that? You see the apples, like you see the fruit. And you pick the fruit, and oh, it's so good, it tastes good. People like that. So in this text... This example of Moses lifting the serpent in the wilderness is a parallel to Jesus being lifted up and us needing to look to Jesus for eternal life, for salvation. So the story goes in the Old Testament that after the crossing of the Red Sea, the Israelites spoke against God and Moses grumbling because of their condition. God then sent serpents that when people were bitten, they would die. The people realized that they had sinned against God and wanted the serpents gone. Then God told Moses to make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Anyone who was bit by a serpent could then look at this fiery serpent and live. And so the parallel here is so it is with Jesus, we now look to Jesus to have eternal life. So again, this interaction with Nicodemus and Jesus, he's using Nicodemus' teaching of the Old Testament. Nicodemus should be familiar with all these stories. All these stories we've looked at so far are as Old Testament context. So this is a story he would have known quite well. So what does that say for us? Should we spend time in the Old Testament? I know I'm guilty of just hanging out in the New Testament. But if you ever look in your Bible, there's footnotes and tells you where certain things are found from the New Testament that are in the Old Testament. Spend time looking at that. So like when I study, when I prepared for this, I look at those footnotes and I, and I look to see what other scripture around is like this. What in the Old Testament? So I encourage you guys to do the same in your, in your study. There's a time for just reading scripture, but there's also a time for studying it as well. Okay. So moving through the rest of our text here, verses 16 through 18, this is probably the most well-known passage of all of Scripture, and, and perhaps a misused passage at times. Verse 16, <clears throat> For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So right here, verse 16, this 4, it, it, it connects us to 15. So kind of back to my, my comment earlier, let's take out the verse numbers and, and so forth. So this 4, it connects us <coughs> and explains what what must happen to make it possible for someone 
to have eternal life. We ended 15 saying that whoever believes in, my, in him, in Jesus, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. So, so we have a connection here to the eternal life. And then this statement, love the world, for God so loved the world, the whole world. This is a big statement in this context. So remember, Jesus is addressing Nicodemus. I mentioned this multiple times now. So there's this Old Testament context we need to remember. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee, is a Pharisee ruler, is one who sees Israel as God's people. Those are the people that salvation is for. But now Jesus is saying salvation is available to the world. That is, it is available to all people, not just Israel. That doesn't mean that, that the entire world is going to be saved. There are many out there that take this out of context and believe that. But, but there, there's things that must happen. But only those who believe in Jesus' work of salvation on the cross will have salvation. You have to believe in Christ. And it's through that that God gives us his grace. Now, Jesus' crucifixion and God's grace is certainly sufficient enough. It is most certainly powerful enough to cover the sins of the whole world. But it's limited. It's limited to those who believe in Jesus. We have to believe in Christ. So therefore, God's atonement for sin is limited. So a phrase we use sometimes is called limited atonement. It's limited to those who believe in God. So the sole purpose of Jesus was to save the world. That is, more than just Israel. All people, everyone, Gentiles, everyone. So this is a really big statement for Nicodemus to hear this. So God's intended plan was Jesus all along. This is why he sent Jesus into the world. This, was, this is what he wanted. This is what would bring glory to him as the Father. So this idea of condemnation is an action of condemning someone to punishment or sentencing them. So believing in Jesus removes us from God's wrath and his condemnation. But not believing we are destined for eternity apart from God, which will be a tragic reality for so many around us. And this is, this is really a scary thing to think about. Because there are so many in the church that stand condemned today as their faith is not genuine. We, we don't know who that is. We may have a head knowledge of Jesus, but not truly know him. And are not truly born again. That is washed with God's spiritual water and given a new spirit. <clears throat> so I want to end with this thought of being born again. Some of you today may be asking, am I truly born again? And, and that's not my intent, though that is something that's going to naturally come about when we, when we look through a set of scriptures like this. And that's, that's a normal question to ask. Me personally, I, I have asked this question of myself in the past. 
Know that being a born again, though, it's not new religion. Like, it's not a new checklist. It's not a, thing, a, a grouping of things that you need to do. But it's a new life. You become a new creation. And understand that this is not something that happens overnight. It's a gradual shaping and forming to the image of Christ. Do you aspire? Do you desire? Let's start there. And then as you are molded into the image of Christ, as you are raised up, you will continue to pursue Christ-likeness. So ask yourself, do you truly aspire to Christ-likeness? Search your heart. Is that desire there? We know that, that from just a small spark, just a tiny spark, a blaze, a fire can erupt. It doesn't always happen quickly. It happens gradually. It happens slowly. And that's true with our salvation, too. So God, through His grace, saves us. That is the spark, and He slowly molds us into the image of His Son. I can see this personally in my own life, just through the years. I remember wrestling with so much doubt at various periods, misunderstanding and finding myself at crossroads along the way. And guys, you, you don't have to pray a sinner's prayer. There's nowhere in Scripture we see this idea of a sinner's prayer, signing a card. God, like the wind in this, in this story, he, he blows His Spirit, His grace, where He chooses. And we are awakened from our spiritual death, born again, becoming a new creation in Christ. The key is to remain in the faith Practice spiritual disciplines. Have spiritual conversations with others. Remain engaged with the church, but not the organization of the church, but the people of the church. Those of us who believe the same. And while we move forward, let's, let's discover our own ministries, our own gifting, our own callings, and let's bring other people into the fold. Let's help enlighten others to the truth of the gospel. There are so many people around us that need to hear the truth of the gospel. And God uses his word to awaken us, to, re, to rebirth us, to make us born again. Scripture says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So I encourage you to read the scriptures and store it in your heart and treasure it and allow that to come out in conversation. You don't, you don't have to say, hey, in John 3.16 it says, no, hey, look, God, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his only son. You don't have to reference it. It's okay if you don't reference it. So I want to leave you with this, and it is that true salvation is God's work at which point you are born again that is, you are made new. You are a new creation. And remember our text from Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God has removed from you that which is cold, that which is hard, 
And he's put within you this heart that can be molded into the image of his son. Guys, let's embrace that. Let's spread that. There are so many people that need to know that. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful today for your love and kindness and just your word that you have revealed to us this morning. God, thank you that salvation is your work. Thank you for being the one that sustains our salvation. Because I know that I would mess it up. God, I pray that you will remind us day in and day out of your work and of the love that you have for us, that you would allow your salvation to be made available and made known to all people. God, help us to continue to abide in your word, to practice your spiritual disciplines, the things that you have revealed to us, and to exercise and to to show just the fruits of the Spirit so that we may glorify your name and bring other people into an understanding of you to guide others into a life centered in Christ. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.